Welcome to Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and if you're looking for me, you can find me in cyberspace. That's where I hang out all the time. The address is rickthomas.net. And so if you have access to the internet, then there's the address, rickthomas.net. Jump on the internet. Type in that address and you'll find me in my cyber home. It is our sanctification center that we have shoved up in cyberspace where we help thousands of people all day long, every day of the year and is our joy to do so. In fact, I had a gentleman write in and he said, Rick, what would be your advice for someone that's going through adultery and divorce? And I thought, oh my Well, here's some things that I would share with you. And as I was thinking about those things that I was sharing with him, I thought I need to share them with you as well. Because either you have experienced adultery and divorce, maybe both, possibly one of them, or you know somebody who has. Everybody knows somebody who has if they have if if it's not them that is going through this. And so I thought this would this would benefit everybody. And so that's why I'm doing this podcast. It's episode 199. It's called The Battle of the Mind, Post-Adultery and Divorce. I have 10 things that I want to share with you. And if you are discipling somebody that's going through this, then I want you to share this podcast with them. I have articles that are embedded here also, and they can read these articles. And let me go ahead and say what I'm going to say at the end Uh, this is not the exhaustive treatment on this idea. These are just 10 things, but more than not being exhaustive, just a few ideas I'm giving you, more than that, each situation is different. And, And one of the, because of the uniqueness of people's situations is one of the reasons, the primary reason that we have community forums where people can talk. We don't want to be the ministry where we're just churning out information and we're just leaving it for you to figure it out. We are a come alongside ministry and we want to come alongside counselors, disciplers, pastors, elders, small group leaders, good friends. We want to come alongside husbands and wives and children and parents and we want to come alongside all those people to, to help them to customize our resources to the unique situation that they're interacting with. And then we want to come alongside those who are struggling, not just those who are discipling and doing the work of soul care, but those who need their souls taken care of. And so we want to interact with you. And that's why I make my appeal that you jump on our community forums, fill out your username, get your free username and password, jump on our free community forums and ask your question. And it would be a joy to help you to walk through the specifics of what the Lord is writing into your narrative. Now, some of you support our ministry, and I'm so grateful that you do. If you don't support our ministry and you have benefited in some way and have a modicum of appreciation for what we are doing, then I beg of you, I I plead with you to help us out because we have a lot going on and we need your help. But we also have a private forum for you, and I want you to jump on that private forum. It's a smaller community because it's our supporting community, and you can ask your question there. If you want to read these show notes, please do that. It's episode 199, The Battle of the Mind, 
post-adultery and divorce. Few battles are more complex than the double whammy of finding out your spouse committed adultery and is filing for divorce. Each one of these events in a silo, each one of these events by themselves will, will send your soul to some dire places. But when both of them happen in succession, your wife commits adultery as what happened to my friend here and then files for divorce. Your compass will spin out of control and you will have almost an impossible time finding due north, finding God in this mess. Not only is it hard to, to find him, but it's hard to understand his mind. Why are you permitting these things? And so my friend asked me for advice because he was going he was, going, he was on the losing end of this tragedy. Now, for those of you who have been following this ministry for any length of time, you know that that is my story as well. Over 30 years ago, my wife committed adultery, and then she filed for divorce, and my compass was spinning wildly, out of control. A young Christian man who... Who didn't, know, who didn't know much of anything, quite honestly. And God, in His mercy to me, as I see it now, He brought this crucible of suffering into my life, and He planted me right in the middle of it. And He began to teach me some things. In fact, I would recommend that you get my book, if you haven't. It's called Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. We've had a lot of comments, a lot of positive reviews on that book. And it, it is what God taught me as I went through adultery and divorce. But it will apply to anybody that's struggling. And I appeal to you to get that book. It will help you. Let that be part of what you are sharing with your soul as you're going through this complexity of adultery and divorce. Or if you're helping somebody in those straits. Again, it's episode 199, The Battle of the Mind, Post-Adultery and Divorce. Ten thoughts when going through it, not exhaustive. And so as you read these things or as you share these things with your friend, what I want you to do is make sure that you come and talk to us and let us serve you. Thing number one is, well, it's hard or maybe impossible to describe the pain of adultery. But for those of you who have gone through it, I don't have to because you are living it. And when I say you are living it, you're living it no matter how long ago it was. When adultery happens in your life or divorce or both, you walk with a limp all the days of your life. Now, it doesn't mean that you're defeated. It doesn't mean that you're not walking in victory. It just means you're walking with a limp. You're Mephibosheth. You're sitting at the king's table, but you, you can't walk. And that's what happens to you. Now, God uses this for his, for his fame, for your benefit, for the ministry to, to whoever he puts in front of you. But you will always walk with a limp. As far as the acuteness of it is concerned, it can take years to recover. It takes years to get to the place to where you can walk with a limp and be uh, pain-free. And it depends on the type of person that you are. 
It depends on the person who's struggling with it. For example, some folks are given to worry or they, they're insecure. If you have a person who struggles with fear of man, for example, or they struggle with fear, they're insecure, insecure kind of person, well, then that individual will have a much more difficult time working through the betrayal of adultery and working through the devastation of divorce. And so everybody is different. And depending on what your pre-existing condition is, an insecure person will have a, a very hard time. It'll take longer for them to recover. And so I don't know my friend here. I don't know him that well to know what kind of person he is, but it's important for him to know, and it's important for you to know if you're caring for somebody, what kind of person you are dealing with, because that will make a difference as far as the length of the pain the length of the conflicting thoughts that they will have and the bouts of despair that they, will, uh, that they will be into. And so, number one, it will take years to recover from the acuteness of it. And, of course, you will walk with a limp for all the days of your life. But then I don't see that as a bad thing at all. At this point in this, uh, my journey that God is writing into my life, I look in the rearview mirror and, and I do see it as a good thing. And I rejoice with this privilege that he has given me to steward this unique suffering to me. But the acuteness of it, well, it can take a while to work through and it depends on the kind of person you are. Number two, you have to talk to someone about your struggles. It is imperative that you have a mentor. You need to find a trusted friend who, who will do a few things with you. Three things. One, he will listen with compassion. It is, it is critical that he has compassion. You don't want that harsh person talking to you. You want somebody who will talk to you through tears. And then you want that person to have courage. You want him to speak the truth to you from a heart of love. And then you want him to have competence. Compassion and is great. Courage is great. But if you don't have competence, you'll be uh, in a mess. And so you want compassion. You want courage. You want competence. Now, you'll notice that I said you want him to do that with you. You see, my friend that's asking me this question is a guy. Therefore, I'm asking him to find a guy, not a gal, to talk to him and to be his trusted, compassionate, courageous, competent friend. If you are a lady going through adultery and divorce, you need to find a gal, another lady, not a guy, not a man. And I think that should be self-explanatory. But if it is not, I want you to write me and ask me why. And I'll be glad to explain it to you. But you don't want to put yourself in a position to where you have to deal with another type of relational decision or problem uh, in your life. So find a guy who will be able to speak to you, number two. Number three, you want to begin training your mind by discipling your soul. As you're meeting with your friends, start bringing the scripture to bear on your struggles. You're going to have two kinds of battles you're going to have this ongoing battle. I talked about it earlier. I used the language, the length of the pain, the length of the conflicting thoughts, the length of the bouts of despair. That's the ongoing battle of the soul that you will be in, but you will have other battles as well. You'll have earthly battles, mundane battles, as you're interacting with your ex-wife, interacting with your children, if you have them. I mean, for example, your thought life will be a regular battle uh, 
that you will struggle with, as I was talking about, with pain, conflicting thoughts, and despair. But then you'll have these mundane battles, legal battles, familial issues that will crop up. As you move along as a divorced parent, if you have children, your children will get older and there will be transitions in their life that you'll have to be prepared for. You'll also have to know what it's like and what you need to do to now have two families, your family and what you're doing by yourself and how to interact with this other family, with your wife and the children, if she has the children it gets complex on the mundane earthly needs that will never end. They'll never end until your children become adults and then you'll interact with them differently as they become adults. And so you'll have two battles going on, the battle of the soul and then these mundane earthly battles, these life issues that you'll have to interact with. And so you want to begin training your mind and discipling your soul as you buddy up with your friend to help you uh, to run down these two rails that you're going to be running down, battling your soul and interacting with these day-to-day practical matters. Number four you want to start serving others in your local church and community. I'm going to appeal to you to make a strategic and practical plan to push yourself outside of your self-imposed shell. And I say that, and I'm making an assumption here, but the tendency for many of us is when tragedy comes is to, to turn inward. Now, part of that is good because we need a season of grief. But grief unending is not good for your soul, and you could find yourself in a self-imposed shell, and that's why I want to talk to you about the other-centered effect of the gospel. The other-centered effect of the gospel has a, a cleansing impact on the soul. And if you're already tempted to retreat inwardly, it's even more vital that you put yourself out there and find ways that you can serve in your local church. Depending on what your gifts are, your strengths and weaknesses, uh, your friend can help you work through that to determine how you can serve your church. But there are things that you can do. You can be a greeter. You can do things for the church. You can work on the church property uh, by, by helping in, in some way, landscaping, for example. You can make hospital visits. You can meet with some of the elderly folks and be a blessing to them. You can engage your small group. You can sing in the choir. I mean, there are so many things that you can do, but you want to put yourself in these social contexts where you're helping people in another centered way. And what you will find as the Lord is working through you and impacting the lives of other people, you will, there, there, there's a cleansing effect there um, that will impact you too. So number four, you want to start serving. Number five, you must not ask for details about what she did with the other man or the other men. There's a principle here is that it's easier to forget what you don't know than what you do know. It's easier to forget what you don't know than what you do know. And if you start plotting, uh, if you start probing, if you, if you try to get all the details of the adultery, you know, what he did, what she did, where they were, the locations of where they were, how many times they did what they did, those things will stay in your mind for years. If you only have to wrestle with the betrayal, the infidelity, 
and that it, can you hear how monumental that sounds by itself if you only have to wrestle with the betrayal and the infidelity you'll have enough of a battle on your hands you don't want to make it more complicated by asking intimate intrusive questions about what they did no matter how much you think you want to know those details right now i promise you that as the years go by you won't care and so why put them in your mind now it's easier to forget what you don't know than what you do know and so don't ask those questions because you don't need to know them and you don't need another battle on your hands that's number five number six you must guard your heart against all legalistic thinking, specifically comparing yourself to the other guy as though you're inferior to him. It, it, is, it is easy for a person who is experiencing adultery and divorce to feel the sting of rejection in what is happening to them and their marriage. And they begin to think legalistically like, if I had just done this, then maybe she wouldn't have done that. No, if you look in the rearview mirror and you start thinking that way, you're going to go into despair. The truth is, the lust-filled heart of your wife is not content. It never was content, and it will continually crave. The person who commits adultery honestly has nothing to do with you. It's, it's a person that has a craving heart. What she did is not about any specific deficit or imperfection or weakness regarding you, but an insatiable desire that she has for her cravings. My point here is that nobody will satisfy her because no man can. You can't compete with her cravings. She has a much deeper issue only God can help her, can bring satisfaction to her soul. And until she finds satisfaction in the Lord alone, she will toggle back and forth from craving to craving, always blaming, for example, now blaming you as a way to justify and rationalize her sin away, blaming you for why she is not happy this is point number six. Guard your heart against legalistic thinking. Thinking that, well, if I had just done this, she would not have done that. No, the lustful heart is never satisfied. I want you to repeat after me. Quote, it's not about me, but about her unquenchable lust. Number seven, what I do want you to do is to pray for your wife. Or pray for your ex-wife if you are divorced by now. Asking God to be merciful to her in a way that, that he was gracious to you. There are only two kinds of people in the world, the lost and the saved. There aren't people who are better than others. You're either totally depraved, futile in your thinking, darkened in your mind, or you have Christ alien righteousness. Only by the grace of God are you any different from her, and that should release you to pray for her. You see, if you start comparing yourself to her, my sin's not as bad as her sin, and now you're comparing yourself to her, uh, you'll start taking on an air of self-righteousness. Not just an air of self-righteousness, but the reality of self-righteousness as you look down on her, and you won't be able to pray for her. 
because of your self-righteous attitude, it is imperative to know that all of us are the same before God. Without His, without Christ's alien righteousness, we are totally depraved and there's nobody worse than anyone else. And if you're any different from total depravity, it is because God has imposed Himself into your life, regenerated you and gave you the righteousness of Christ that you did not earn and so there's no way that you can take a self-righteous stand and look down on her and so I appeal to you point number seven pray for her number eight ask the Lord to reveal things about you that contributed to the adultery since you know you were not perfect during the marriage I'm not here to pummel you I'm not here to condemn you I'm not here to criticize you I'm not here to make matters worse for you, but you know it's true. It takes two people to destroy a marriage. Though one person can do more than the other person to get to the place of divorce, you know that you were not perfect during the marriage. Identify what those things are and then begin to seek to change those things. Your friend will help you to do this. If you will have an honest conversation with your friend and just lay out, here are some areas in my marriage where I just quite honestly failed. It's not, you're not doing this to win her back you're necessarily. You're not doing this to restore the marriage necessarily. You're doing it primarily because of God's fame. You want to honor Him. You want to glorify God. And if God has identified some things in your life that you need to address, then rather than stewing or drowning in despair say lord here's some things that i have done and i want to grow and mature and i want to to overcome these things and so lord help me and that will also help you not to fall into the trap of her sin was worse than my sin and just let me to re let me repeat no doubt what she did is consequentially worse than what you did but Paul was very clear that those who compare themselves to other people are not wise. He said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he said, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding we can always find worse sinners than we are. It's an easy temptation. You can look out across the, the landscape, maybe the Christian community, most definitely the non-Christian community, and you can find worse sinners than you are. But if that is your attitude toward anyone, you're in a worse place than you think you are. And so rather than focusing on all that she did, ask the Lord to reveal things about you that contributed to the adultery without pummeling yourself. It's for God's glory. You want to change and give you something to do as you're working through this. Number nine, guard against the despair that leads to apathy. Now what I mean is that some folks can feel the weight of the, of the betrayal so much that they just quit God. The pressure is so much, the hurt is so much, the pain is so deep, the confusion is just swirling. 
you're frustrated and you feel yourself spiraling down into despair and the weight of all that, you just quit. I go a fishing just for a moment. You react sinfully by doing something dumb in a moment of deep hurt, anger. You're tired of wrestling with it all. Some people will escape through a sin. It's important for you to know that your heart is capable of throwing off your responsibility toward God by jumping into a regretful sin. And when you do that, despair will come. That despair will jump on you and you will be in a deeper hole than you were as you were struggling through the adultery and divorce my point here in number nine, guard against the despair that leads to apathy to where you just say, I don't care. When despair comes, it's vital to have already a plan to keep you from doing the dumb thing. Now, if you are caring for someone who's going through adultery and divorce, you want to talk about this. There'll be a, a time when this person will just, I'm just tired of carrying it all. I'm tired of walking down this path. I want something for me. I want to feel better about me. And so what they do is they go do the dumb thing. Now, perhaps you want to ask them about this. Ask them how they have been responding to the weight that they are carrying of adultery and divorce. Maybe they've already done the dumb thing. You want to know that because you may have to work with them through it. This is episode 199, The Battle of the Mind, Post-Adultery and Divorce. Point number one, it's going to take a long time to recover, depending on the kind of person you are. It can take longer for some than others. We don't cookie cutter uh, this situation. We want to know the person uh, that is struggling with it. Number two, you need to talk to someone who has compassion and courage and competence. Number three, you want to disciple your soul. Uh, for the specific battles that you will be going through, but also for the mundane earthly battles as you interact with the ongoing needs of your wife and your children, the legal battles and the things that will happen as your children are transitioning into older, older years. Number four, you want to start serving others in the local church and community. The other-centered effect of the gospel has a cleansing impact on the soul. Number five, you must not ask for the details about what she did with the other man. It is easier to forget what you don't know than what you do know. Number six, you must guard your heart against all legalistic thinking as you begin to reflect upon what you could have done. And if I'd done this, she wouldn't have done that. Remember, the lust-filled heart is never content. It will continually crave nobody will satisfy the lustful heart but god himself number seven pray for your ex-wife you don't want to take that attitude of being better than than she is and so you want to pray for her recognizing that whatever you may have it is only by the grace of god that you do have it and so you don't look down on her. Number eight, ask the Lord to reveal things to you that contributed to the adultery so that you can grow through it. You know you weren't perfect, and so without beating yourself up, ask the Lord to help you 
to learn the lessons that you should have learned a while ago, but you're going to learn them now and you're going to make those changes. Number nine, guard against the despair that leads to apathy to where at some point you just say, forget about it. I'm, I'm going to do something for me now. I'm going to have an escape, going to have some fun. And you jump into the regretful sin and then finally, number 10, I want you to read the articles that I have embedded in these show notes. They will help you. They will encourage you. And then if you don't have anyone to talk to, I appeal to you in my strongest language that you come to us and you talk to us on our forums. We have a free community forum. One of the reasons it's free is for people like you because I, I remember... <laughs> I remember when I went through the adultery and divorce, well, I was busted. I had no money. I had no way of finding any kind of help from a financial perspective. I just needed a, a friend who would come alongside me, and we have free community forums, and you can do that because our supporting community uh, underwrites this ministry. And so come to us and ask questions. And then finally, as I was building out this podcast— my friend Julie shared a note uh, with this man who was going through adultery, and I couldn't say it any better. And so I want to close this, close this podcast by sharing a quote from my friend Julie. She said, the big thing that helped me was remembering that God is good and he is sovereign. He has a good purpose in this trial that I cannot see, and I trust him. This perspective takes the focus off me. What is wrong with me and what can I do to change? And it puts my focus on what is right about God. And I know he can change this and I know he may not change this, but I will submit to his will because of who he is. Julie, thank you for your wise words. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.